what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. Thank you to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Spiritless supports the conscientious cocktailer who wants to live fully but drink differently. Their signature Kentucky 74 is a distilled non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails. It's zero alcohol zero guilt, and just 15 calories per serving. Whether you go completely spiritless or go halvesies with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail, you can get your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. This is To Dine For, the podcast. I'm your host, Kate Sullivan. Join me as we meet the world's most innovative and brilliant minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's podcast, we're joined by New York Times bestselling author Kevin Kwan. Every time I meet a writer, I said, just do your thing. Tell your truth, and it will find its audience. His novel, Crazy Rich Asians, became a cultural phenomenon. The movie adaptation of his book became the highest-grossing romantic comedy in 10 years, and the only movie starring an all-Asian cast in 25 years. Today, we head to Kevin's favorite restaurant, Crustacean, in Beverly Hills, to hear how it all began. Kevin shares the secrets to living a big, bold, adventurous life, whether we are crazy, rich, Asian, or none of the above. Get ready, because this is one crave-worthy meal. Today we're in Beverly Hills, California. I'm on my way to interview the fascinating author and cultural icon, Kevin Kwan. We're eating at a Vietnamese restaurant called Crustacean. Their story is as fascinating as Kevin's. Hi, Kevin. Hi. How are you? Great to meet you. It is so wonderful to meet you. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, it's really a pleasure. I feel like we're on a blind date. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. it. Let's do it. Let's go in. Palm trees, mega mansions, and Rodeo Drive. This is Beverly Hills. World-renowned shopping is just the beginning of the Beverly Hills experience. And in the heart of it all is a glamorous Asian fusion restaurant called Crustacean. A modern Vietnamese restaurant serving up elegant dishes in true Beverly Hills style. My sister always loved fashion. And so when we wanted to open Crustacean, we wanted to have the glamour and the glitz. It is here in the midst of the stunning decor, a live koi river built right into the floor where I sit down with international best-selling author and cultural phenom, Kevin Kwan. Welcome to LA. Thank you. 
His addictive Crazy Rich Asians book trilogy has taken the world by storm. A satirical romantic comedy about a life of high fashion, private jets, and unparalleled wealth in Singapore. Kevin's novels are written from his own personal life experiences growing up as part of a wealthy family. By sharing those experiences combined with his own unique humor, Kevin launched himself into literary stardom. Then the film adaptation of Crazy Rich Asians became a history-making smash hit at the box office and the highest-grossing romantic comedy in a decade. Today, Kevin shares his incredible success story as we dine on Chef An's signature crab puffs, a ribeye dip covered in aged cheddar fondue, world-famous garlic noodles with just a little lobster on top. I'm just a noodle boy. <laughs> you know, I'm obsessed with noodles. I hear the word and I start salivating. And then, a treat for our sweet tooth to wrap it all up. Why did you choose this restaurant as one of your favorites? Well, first of all, you know, when I first moved to L.A., I was really kind of a stranger to the city. And, I, you know, you sort of crave these flavors of home. And I met um, Catherine Ahn, one of the daughters of the owner, Alain, um, at a party. And she told me about her mother's famous lobster noodles. And so for me, it's like, okay, lobster noodles, salt. <laughs> and I told her, I'm going to try your restaurant. Definitely. I mean, she didn't know I would call the next day <laughs> and make a reservation for that evening. You know, that's how, I, how desperate I am for good food. And so I came here and they welcomed me, you know, like I was coming home in a way. And I've loved it ever since. Well, and they are as trailblazing as you are in the sense that Absolutely. their first restaurant in San Francisco, one of the first Vietnamese restaurants mm -hmm. in that city, um, uh, and very much the mothers, the women are the matriarchs, which I think exactly. is so interesting, too. Yeah. Very similar to my books. Exactly. And the women in my books. Yes. And really making their mark on the Asian community, you know, and, and, and not only making a mark, but also really saying something and adding to the culture, the American culture, but also trailblazing in the Asian culture as well. That's, you know, a beautiful observation. Yeah. Because she could have very easily come here and just done the classic Vietnamese right. cuisine, right. you know, which is an amazing cuisine with its traditions. But she innovated it. Yes. She made it a hybrid. You know, she started out, I think they had an Italian deli. Mm -hmm. So she started cooking out pastas. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what if I do my version of a pasta? Mm -hmm. like which we're going to have today. Yeah, I know, and I can't fusion. wait. And it's just, I'm obsessed with it. So. <laughs> me too, me too. Shall we try some of yeah, these Yeah, let's try these crab puffs. Crab, 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 crab puffs. puffs. Today's conversation is a tale of two Asian immigrant stories. The An family story reads like a modern-day fairy tale, with three generations of women from Vietnam who, as refugees of the Vietnam War, lost their home and country, only to relocate in America, and through massive amounts of hard work, built a multi-million dollar food empire. In 1971, they opened the first Vietnamese restaurant in San Francisco in a tiny deli. It was called Tan Long. They struggled greatly, but then found the secret to their success. The garlic noodles. <laughs> People come all over the world to try my mom's garlic noodles. In San Francisco, Italian food, spaghetti, was the most popular item. So she's like, garlic noodles is my version of spaghetti. Far from a traditional Vietnamese dish, the family matriarch was inspired by the successful Italian restaurants in San Francisco to craft her own famous dish, 
This dish is one of the first documented examples of fusion cooking in America. We call it modern Asian. We really try to challenge our palate. Now, nearly 50 years and six restaurants later, the An family's recipes have become the epitome of Asian fusion in mainstream America. What a perfect place to sit down with Kevin and hear his own immigrant success story. I think just from a very, very early age, I was always the one that was sort of watching and observing and just finding humor in the moments and in the situations and the absurdity of things that would happen in my life. I I had a consciousness of it from a very early age. That's a gift. And it comes across in your books. I mean, your books are very funny. Thank you. They really are. They're... They're totally they're unintentional. Delightful. They're funny. I was they're, not trying to write a funny book. You were not. Not at all. But they are. And they're <laughs> enjoyable. And they're, yeah. there's a lot of emotion in them as well. What was the inspiration for beginning writing Crazy Rich Asians? I always, you know, as everyone says, that's a cliche, but I felt like I had a story to tell, mm. you know? And in 2009, my father became ill. Mm. And so I took some time off work. I went back to Houston where he was based at the time and I, I spent, you know, maybe three months taking him to the, to the doctor every day. He was getting chemo and radiation and we had a lot of time in the car, a lot of time to talk and reminisce and I would just really, you know, he's a very quiet man. Mm-hmm. So I had to be the one peppering him with questions mm-hmm. and he would just answer back. And was it just this hunger and this search to remember all the stories from your youth, from all his stories? Yeah. And if for the first time we were really getting to spend this time together after yeah. so many years where I would, you know, just visit every, every so often, you know, a few times a year I'd see him. But we had this really focused time together in a car. Mm. He had a very enchanted childhood, I think, in Singapore. Mm. And he had an extremely privileged childhood and um, at some in point, a way that I did not have. You did not have. Not, not even close to, to how he, he grew up. So I wanted to know more about that. Right. You know, he was chauffeured to, to, to school every single day. And the driver would take his suitcase, his briefcase, and walk it into the class for him. Pardon me? <laughs> I, mean, know, who, I didn't who, have that. I didn't Trust either. <laughs> you know. But as yeah. your, your dad is telling stories like that, yeah. are you thinking to yourself, no one's going to believe this. This is a book. These are stories mm-hmm. that, that the average American has never heard. This really is an interesting tale. That was part of my motivation. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I would go into bookstores. You'd go into, you know. Barnes Noble, and you'd see in the fiction sections, Mm -hmm. there would be books about, you know, China, but ancient China. Right. But not modern Singapore. Not modern Singapore, not modern Asia. Mm. And I was thinking, you know, this whole region has been through 30 years of such dynamic growth. Wow. Look at that. This is the ribeye dip sandwich with it looks like handmade potato chips. Yes. Oh, wow. Wow. And a little au jus for dipping. An au jus for dipping. This au is phenomenal. So, sort of like an Asian French dip. Totally. Well, I'm not going to leave here hungry, that's no, for sure. exactly. So as you're writing, as you begin to write, and as you begin to, to hear these stories from your father, are you writing them down? You know, you're, you're going home and writing them? Or are, they just, are you just filing them away in your memory? I was filing them away. Mm. And it was only after he passed that I really started making the effort, you know, I, I sort of realized, you know what, life is short. I'm not going to wait till I'm retired. You know, I always had this dream. I would be 65 years old, retired, living in Italy. That was my dream. And then I would have time to write a, write a novel. Why wait? And I said, why wait? I love that. Get it down on paper now. And it just seemed like the right time. And the memories were fresh. 
and, yeah. right? And, and who knows if you had waited, whether you would have remembered them in, as, as detailed. Absolutely. And in a way, the writing became a therapy for me. It mm -hmm. became kind of a healing journey, mm -hmm. you know, through my grief. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you have the book written. It's going to the editors. You're trying to get it published. What is the initial reaction to it? Because it really is extreme and outlandish mm -hmm. and crazy. You know, <laughs> it is well titled yeah. Crazy Rich Asians. We'll have more from our delicious meal in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National Agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National Agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Now back to the table and this fascinating conversation. It's interesting. My agent tells me that it was sitting in a pile mm -hmm. and it probably would have still been sitting in that pile had she not noticed the title. Really? Crazy Rich Asians. And it was so for the time, so just kind of outrageous mm -hmm. that she had to pick it up. Mm. And she flipped open the page and she started reading and within two pages she was hooked. I'm just really curious as to... Did you have any idea that it would have the impact that it has had on culture? Absolutely not. Really? I mean, I didn't even think the book would be published. Ugh. You know, I thought it was yeah. really, it was a leap of faith, taking a chance. I'll try it. Mm -hmm. I didn't even want to submit it to agents because it was just, it was a fun little project. <laughs> I thought I'd self-publish it and give it to a few friends. Do you know how inspiring this is going to be to so many people? I hope so. Yeah. Because I tell that to writers groups, to people. Every time I meet a writer, I said, just do your thing. Tell mm. your truth. Mm. And it will find its audience. Mm -hmm. What has surprised you the most about the reaction to this book? And the, actually, all three books. I think the universality of it and how I get approached by the most random people in the world. Um, often at airports. You mean of all walks of life? Of all walks of life, of all races and colors. And, you know, I'll, I'll be in Australia. I'll be in the Philippines. Um, I was getting out of a cab in the Philippines one day, trying to find change to, to, to tip the baggage handler. Mm -hmm. And this person comes up to me and says, hey, it's, it's Kevin Kwan. It's so great to meet you. <laughs> and I was like, I have no cash. And he's like, here, let me, you know, like... <laughs> so in the most, I've had the most interesting, lovely exchanges with people mm. who have wanted to share how deeply meaningful the movie has been for them. I, I, there was a father last week at a, at a book signing I did. Mm -hmm. 
um, who, who cried. This 45-year-old man, he said, you know, this is the first movie I could take my children to where I could really sh proudly show them my culture. What's that like for you? It's kind of overwhelming, you know? I mean, I'm, it's like having an out-of-body experience. Mm -hmm. Because for me, it's like I just sat on a corner and wrote a book. Right. I was not intending in any way to affect people. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and I'm so grateful it has. Mm -hmm. The film adaptation of Crazy Rich Asians became not only an instant box office smash, but also the first film in 25 years to have an all-Asian cast. The last film to do it, 1993's The Joy Luck Club. And with a sequel already in the works, it seems safe to say that Kevin Kwan and Crazy Rich Asians is well on the way to changing the face of Hollywood forever. Why do you think it's taken so long? Why do you think it's been 25 years? You know, I think it's, I mean, not to get too technical about this, but I mm -hmm. think it's just the conglomerization of media. Mm -hmm. You know, all the independent film companies that were once independent got bought up. The risk profile becomes a lot more heightened. They didn't want to take a chance. They don't want to take chances. They, they start just making want just sure franchises, thing. Marvel movies, so you needed, sure things, big stars and everything. You needed a all Asian cast to hit it out of the park for another, to make the way, to pave the way for the studios to take another chance on an all Asian cast. Completely. Wow. Because I would always say, you know, because, the, the, you know, the, the thinking of Hollywood, I think, you know, from a few years ago was mm -hmm. like, you know, no one will come see it unless there's a star in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a big box office draw. Mm -hmm. No one will see this movie. Mm -hmm. And my response was always, well, Hollywood used to create stars mm -hmm. not too long ago. Mm -hmm. And they used to create stars that weren't all white. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. created Nancy Kwan, right. who is my cousin. Mm -hmm. You know, she mm -hmm. was the first Asian American crossover star. Mm -hmm. They created Omar Sharif. They created Rita Hayworth. Mm -hmm. Why can't they do it again? And this movie proved that they could. You have great actors in it, you promote them, you create stars. Mm -hmm. Henry Golding, Aquafina, Gemma Chan. Mm -hmm. These were names that were pretty unknown mm -hmm. eight months ago, mm -hmm. and now they're not. I you love know? what Constant Wu said about you, yeah. which is that you aren't trying to make Asians cool, you're just trying to make them whole. What, what do you think she meant by that? I, th I think she really got to the heart of how when I write characters, I really try to make them as multifaceted as possible. So you're seeing them from so many different angles. Mm -hmm. And it's not just from one angle, the cool angle, the attractive angle. And it's you not know. a stereotype. It's not a stereotype. Right. It's, they're, they're all It's nothing you've seen before, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's beings. a real person. It's a real person. Yeah. Quirks and all. How do you elicit these characters? How do you create them? You know, they're very much often inspired by, by people I've come across, mm -hmm. or they're amalgams of different types of people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, I really, I really take pleasure in, in, in characters. We have our famous lobster with garlic noodles. Oh my goodness. So, I didn't realize it would come with lobster hungry. on it. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So this is the dish that really drew you into crustacean. Yes. There's, you know, lobster noodles mm -hmm. are, are very famous in 
Southeast Asia and China. So I wanted to see their version. And this was such a surprise. I can't wait. I mean, okay, let's do go it. Go for it. This yeah. looks amazing. They're delicious and they're good for you. They're good for you. Yeah. <laughs> they're healthy and as well. Of course, I'm eating mine like pasta with a fork. <laughs> you mean I don't have to use chopsticks? The whole week I was worried about using chopsticks. You know, I, I don't really use chopsticks. Okay, well, that's great. I won't either. <laughs> Clearly, you know you're onto something when you've penned bestseller after bestseller. You know, in, in a way, does it feel like a lot of pressure because you have had such a mountaintop experience as an author to think what's next? You know, I really try not to think that way. Hmm. For me, oh. I don't know why, but ever since I was young, the road less traveled, the riskier road has always been the attractive one for me. Mm. You know, so wherever I've been, wherever I go and whenever there's a fork in the road, I always look for the one that's more challenging. Mm -hmm. And I never want to repeat myself. Mm. You know, um, that's why I think a lot of, you know, for many, many years, I think most of my family thought I was a complete dilettante. <laughs> What are you doing now, Kevin? You know, like that you have I was been, like, you have always been the eccentric, quirky relative. Yeah, you're the, just like a character in your jack book. The jack of all trades, yes. loser. Really. Uh, no, you know, would, like I'm the only one that's never had a career. I would never call you a yeah. loser. I mean, but, but that know. that helps to to formulate some of these characters and to see them through the way that you see them. Absolutely. How was you know. it executive producing Crazy Rich Asians? How was that experience for you? That was a dream experience. Why? Because it worked out so well. <laughs> <laughs> and it was such a success. Yeah, but I think also because we were, we really did something that was different mm -hmm. in terms of how it came together as a collaboration mm -hmm. between myself and the producers and how I was able to be involved every step of the way in a way that authors often aren't. Were you part of the casting? And did I you was. Play it? And you did. Yeah. And what, what, what was that experience like for you? That was just a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, they, they came to me asking for my dream list mm -hmm. of like, who would you see in each of these characters? Wow. You know, and I remember from the very first day, I said, we have to get Michelle Yeoh to play Eleanor Young. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was just the most magnificent performance, mm -hmm. you know. Studios don't want to take a risk on actors or actresses that are not a name. Mm -hmm. She is definitely a name, but so many of the other stars were not names. They were plucked, out, seemed to be yeah. out of obscurity. I didn't know them. And so you kind of defied expectations on a lot of different fronts, not just having an all Asian cast, but also creating, you created stars. The movie created stars. Yeah. Yeah. You know. The movie created stars, exactly. Yeah. And every single one of them, their careers have exploded. And what is most gratifying is that they're not just playing Asian roles anymore. You know, they've mm -hmm. transcended. Mm -hmm. Producers, directors are looking at characters and, and saying, why can't we just cast Jimmy O. Yang to be this person? Right. He just happens to be Asian. And is that the goal? Is that the goal to, to not just write a book that is a peek into Singaporean mm -hmm. society, not just create a movie that has the first all Asian cast in 25 years, but to really allow these characters to fly into American consciousness and to for them to see them simply as not Asian actors but just actors. Great actors. Great actors. Absolutely. Yeah. That's definitely one of the goals. What advice would you give a young author 
or maybe not so young, yeah. who really has this dream. Yeah, I, I was not so young when I started, you know. So I would really, really say, you know, as I say to everyone, like, find your truth and, and don't be afraid to really take that risk. Um, and really remove those voices in your head saying, oh, I have to write for this market or I have to write to appeal to this editor or this agent or... In so many instances, our, our minds get in the way. We overthink things. We try to be too strategic. We try to think of the outcome. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the outcome, it's about the journey, really. Mm. So many people in life are waiting for someone to tap them on the shoulder and say, go ahead, be a writer. Mm-hmm. When what you did was you just wrote because it was in you and no one tapped you on the shoulder, you just did it. I think that's what you have to do in every instance, mm-hmm. whether you're a writer or a filmmaker or a musician, mm-hmm. you have to do the work. You have to go into the studio, mm-hmm. make that painting, mm-hmm. you know? That's what being an artist is. Yeah. What do you think your dad would have thought of this book? I think he's watching and laughing. Mm. I really do. Mm. At all the I, success. Yeah. At all I, the hoopla. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I think he's really a part of the success mm-hmm. because I, I don't think I could have done it on my own. Yeah. Really. Well, well it was really his stories that started it all, yeah. right? It was those car rides. Those which, car rides. Yeah. It's amazing. Can we dive into this? Oh, yeah. I mean, this looks this incredible. Is yeah. So is this, what is this? This is their A fried, fried is banana. Fried banana. After a massively delicious meal and nourishing conversation, Kevin and I decide to take a walk through the park and enjoy this beautiful Beverly Hills day. Under the California sun, we continued our fascinating conversation and got a glimpse at what Kevin sees as his next act. You said that you don't like to repeat things. Yeah. You like to keep it fresh, keep moving, be creative. Uh, do you think your next chapter would involve something that w- didn't in some way write about the Asian experience? Doesn't? Absolutely, and for so many years I did. I mean, that's really the story of my life in that I, in many ways, didn't want to confront that side of my, myself. Why not? I think it's part of assimilation of the immigrant story, you know, when you come here, you don't want to succeed in that obvious way. Mm. So, you know, I, my first book was a book on Cuba. Mm. Never been to Cuba, <laughs> didn't know much about Cuba. I've since become a Cuba expert in many right. ways, but I, I, I sort of would skirt around so many different things, but I never wanted to tackle anything de- dealing with Asia or Singapore. Well, isn't that Because it was too close to home, but you th- know? That yeah. is so fascinating that yeah. what gave you the greatest success was your true north. It was your truth. It was who you are, your story, uh, oh. through and through. Isn't I mean, that something? Yeah, yeah, and it really is a lesson for all of us. You know? Um, That's why I tell people now, find your truth. And, and it and takes really, a lifetime, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and really don't be afraid to go to that authentic self. Mm-hmm. My time with Kevin Kwan was short, but so revealing. I got the feeling I was hanging out with a character in one of his best-selling novels. Eccentric and fun, Kevin is a master observer who immerses himself in different experiences to poke fun at what he sees. A man who has taken many stabs at creativity, but found massive success only when he had the courage to write his own story. So what does that say? Sometimes it takes a lifetime to tell your own truth, and when you do, you open a door for others to do the same. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefortwithkatesullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.